Dear Brambling, it's your Uncle Luke here. I hope you're having a good day today. It is such a sunny, lovely, warm day today. It is St. Patrick's Day. Um... But yeah, today I actually am going to be bringing you a conversation I had with my roommate, Sam Ellington. I'm actually really excited to bring you this conversation as I find it actually one of the most fascinating conversations I've had in a really long time. Now, when I reflect back on this conversation, I actually tend to think about this TED Talk that I saw by inclusion researcher Shelley Moore. I'll actually be posting a link to the video down in the show notes. But um, in the TED Talk, she actually uh, she actually talks about how when teaching those with differences or exceptionalities, that we tend to say things like, and I quote, he is too autistic, or too deaf, too blind, too disabled. He's not the one who's too anything. It is me. I was too ignorant, too unmindful, and too assuming. She goes on to say that we have to believe that people are competent. We have to trust that all people can learn. If you don't presume competence, then I'm the one who's disabled. I am trying to allude to the fact that we all have different learning styles, and to assume that one size fits all when it comes to education, mm, it's not correct, and it actually can be quite harmful. In this conversation, Sam shares with us some of their experiences from elementary school and how ignorant and assuming behavior can really damage someone. Sam expresses why video games and other games have helped shape a better understanding of their learning style, and they give insight to why the current education system failed them. My hope is that you'll go into this conversation with an open heart and an open mind, and hopefully you'll learn something new, and uh, you'll get to see why I think Sam is so great. So thank you very much, and without any further ado, let's dive into that conversation. But yes, welcome. It's exciting to have you. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be here, here being our home. Yes. That we in share. In my own apartment, yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, geez. Yeah, I know it's been a, a while since I've been like, hey, you should just uh, be here. Yes, one room over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the great divide really is hard to cross, but... It's a... <laughs> I, mean, I guess there's a, a success there saying that we divided the apartment pretty well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so people can't hear me screaming on the other side of the wall <laughs> while you're recording usually. I love it. I think it's so great. It tells me I'm home. Aw. So, um, yeah, I first question I wanted to ask you, Sam, is like, what's on your mind and what's on your heart today? Wow, we're, uh, we're diving right in. I know, right? I, uh... You know, I heard this question from the Gottmans, who are relationship experts, and uh, they do some really incredible research, but they essentially determined that asking that question in that kind of way is a really great way of, like, having a connection. So, what's on your mind today? What's on your heart today? 
How's it going? You know, if we're gonna dive right in, then I'll just dive right in. Yeah, recently I've just kind of been on this personal journey of really pushing my boundaries Ooh. and getting out of my comfort zone. As you are aware, but I will state again, um, I deal with really bad anxiety. And for a long time in my life, I feel like I've kind of settled into this comfortable space hmm. where I have my routine, I have my friendships, I know what is not going to come back at me with repercussions or make me feel anxious or uncomfortable. And I think what this has done is warped my perception of how people will react to what I do or say. So a, a lot of this journey for me has actually been, I think, related to my love life. Mm. Um, and I've just been putting myself out there way more and learning to not be so worried that any little thing that I say or do will, you know, come across wrong or make people run away or think I'm weird. Because it doesn't. I've, and that, that's the thing that's been absolutely crazy to me, is just how much random shit that I can say and do, and it's totally fine. Right? Like, uh, it, it was very unexpected to me. So my, my whole paradigm's just been breaking down little by little huh. recently, but yeah. That's really cool. That's really interesting. And so, like, the breaking down of the paradigm, has it been frightening has it been surprising has it been <laughs> the first day that this really started i was talking to my friend um good friend of mine out in las vegas and i was saying to him i was like i don't want to get out of my comfort zone my comfort zone is comfortable damn it <laughs> uh, and i was i was like i was crying i was hating myself so much because the very first day was the worst yeah I was so anxious. I had a panic attack for like four hours straight. I thought I was gonna puke. Yeah, it was. Um, it was not a good time. But the anxiety and the stress and the pain got to a breaking point mm. where it was so bad that my brain just leapfrogged over it into not giving a fuck anymore. Interesting how that happens. Yeah, I, it's some kind of cognitive dissonance where, like, you just realize all the stress isn't worth it. Yeah. Right? It's it's easier to just do the thing that you were stressed about and get it over with. Yeah. And then once you do that, you realize it's actually not that bad. It's like, the best way I can compare it is you're, you're going to go on a roller coaster for the first time. Like one of those roller coasters that goes yes. upside down and you're in line and you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God, I can't do this. <laughs> and, and you get on, you're strapped in and you're like looking outside towards the trees, towards freedom, like, fuck, let me out, let me out, let me out. But it's too late. <laughs> yeah. And you go on the roller coaster and you go upside down and you, you, you finish the whole thing, you come back and you're like, can I go again? <laughs> you know, it's exactly like that. Is you're terrified of it until you do it and you actually realize it's a great time. Yeah. No, that really reminds me of, um, I had a conversation with my cousin Sarah that we recorded and we talked a lot about um, bravery and courage. And there was a moment in my life where her son, Owen, who was... It was 2016, so we went to the Philippines, her family and myself, and there was a zip line over a 400-foot ravine, <laughs> and Owen 
just wanted to go on it so badly. He's like, come on, mom, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he's too short to go, so he has to go with, with a parent right. for it to be safe. Well, safe. I, uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, as safe as it can be, being as, dangled hundreds of feet above the ground. Right? Yes. Right. And uh, Sarah was just like, oh, dang it. Like, I can't do this. But, like, at least if we fall off, we can die together. Like, <laughs> it, it was uh, kind of morbid, but also one of those like call to actions for her she's like i have to do this for my son i guess they're looking at the prices being like hey luke look it's so cheap like it's only like five bucks to go across the whole thing like we should go and i'm like ha ha, ha. yeah <laughs> meanwhile my stomach is dropping down my butt and like <laughs> of course but come out of here right i'm just freaking out but i just decided i don't know something in me was just like hey Let's go. I want to be cool. I think it was maybe that. And um, I remember like walking up to the, the platform where they're going to strap you in and Owen and Sarah were right in front of me. And I was asking Owen, like, why are you so excited to do this? And he just said probably the most wisest thing I've ever heard. I think the worst part is just the beginning. Then the rest is going to be great. Yeah. And I was like, all right, just drop that truth bomb on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm curious though like what's um what started the paradigm shift you're talking about like it's connected to your love life but like, yeah um, is it okay it's no, free to no, ask of course it was just this this girl that i met at my work that i was super interested in and look i've i've been in relationships before i sort of know what i'm doing as much as any of us can but i've never actually been through the steps of meet someone ask for their number hit them up and ask them to go out. I've never actually, I've skipped that step oh, every time. Right. And it just, whatever happened, happened very spontaneously. And so the, the last time I would have tried to do that would have been six years ago in high school or something like that. Mm. And that was always a disaster consistently because, you know, it was high school. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going through those steps and just feeling so out of my depth. Mm. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just hating it. And that's that's where this kind of started for me. And since then, I've been trying to branch out more. And, you know, my love life has just been a convenient lens through which to do this. But really, what I'm learning expands so much more generally into life in general. My professional relationships, my friendships. Yeah, no, it's it's been very insightful and kind of world-changing. I'm excited to see where it goes and who I will become another year, two years down the line, rather than just stagnating, because that's my biggest fear in life, mm. is to just not move forward in any way, shape, or form. Kind of almost sounds like what happens when a seed breaks out and starts planting its own roots. There's that really tough shell it has to break through. Yeah. Right? And it, it has to eventually just push and push and push and push until eventually it cracks. And, and, and that's a great analogy, right? We all build a shell like that around ourselves. Yeah. Right? Because we have to. The world is a big, scary, dangerous place. Mm. And if you don't build your preconceptions and understandings of what's safe, mm. uh, <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. So you need something. But incorrect things can also wind their way in there. And sometimes you need a reality check to come along and uh, help you break out of that. Totally. Totally. Well, now that I have you, 
<laughs> Would you be down to tell me a little bit about your story? Where should I start? Uh, anywhere you want. Any type of uh, story you want to tell? Do you want to? You can start from the beginning. Like, you popped out. You could. <laughs> you could talk about your first day of school, first day of this, whatever. Tell tell me a story that your life had. <laughs> wow. Um. What a question. Where Where did you Where were you born? Where did you grow up? I, I, I grew up here. I think I was born in North Van. Okay. At a hospital there. And I, I mean, I, I lived in West Van for a bit. Moved to Port Moody when I was young. My schooling was an absolute mess. Yeah. Right. I changed schools a lot. My grade two teacher was abusive and terrible and set my learning back years. It, it was always something I really regretted. Because when I was in grade one, right, they had me doing like grade five grade six math and English. Holy Jesus. Um, I was, I was way too into it as a kid. I've always had just this insatiable passion for learning. Mm. And as I've gotten older now, that has gotten away from traditional school subjects and morphed into something completely different, but I can get to that. When I was young though, yeah, I was, I was advanced by, by quite a few years and then I get to grade two and I just have this teacher who I can only describe as a misandrist. She hated men. Oh. Yeah, really, truly. She did, and she bullied the boys in our class relentlessly. Mm. Um, she hit me. She actually hit you? Yes, and that's, that's, <gasps> the, that's the spoiler, the ending of that whole arc. But we also had this boy in our class, I can't remember if he had uh, ASD, or if it was just really bad ADHD, but it was something. There was something not quite right, right? He, he didn't quite fit in, certainly didn't belong in a classroom. Right, okay. Uh, he, he hadn't developed the skills to be in a classroom yet, so he would act out uh, a lot. But, you know, I, I was fond of him. He was, he was actually a really sweet kid, and I was his friend. And one day, I guess he'd done something to annoy her, and she had him stand up, and she asked the class one by one to go around and look in his eyes and tell them what they hated about him. <gasps> in a oh. goddamn grade one classroom. <laughs> and I basically stood up and said, I'm not doing this. Right? Yeah. I, I was young. I don't, I, I can't remember the details, but yeah, I, I fuck no, right? I'm not going to do that. Uh, he, like, he's, he's breaking down sobbing, right, yeah. in front of the class, of course. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to support that. It's, it's inhumane. So after that, she doubled down on making my life hell as much as she could. Really? She started bullying me for my Tourette's. Back then, I had a lot more, slightly more vocal tics. Mm. I've never been full out, but, um, you know, I would make certain sounds with my mouth or certain clicking things. And during a test or whatever, she would just kick me out of the classroom and give me a zero on the test. Really? Yeah, that kind of thing. And then eventually this all boils down to a point where it's some kind of science demonstration and everyone's touching these squishy things uh, that she had said not to touch. And I wasn't doing it because I was pretty lawful good when I was a kid. But eventually the temptation got to be too much and everybody else in the class had done it. So I did it. And finally she reacts and she slaps my hand. Oh my god. And, and yells at me. And then she brings me aside and gives me some... Uh, analogy about a kid putting his hand in the cookie jar and tells me above all else don't tell your parents 
well, my mother had always told me if somebody uses the phrase, don't tell your parents to tell my parents. So <laughs> nice little fail safe there. Yeah. So the police get involved. It's a, or sorry, no, 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 that is incorrect. We never did involve the police. We should have. Uh -huh. They did an internal investigation instead. Okay. She got off scot-free. Oh. That's yeah. That's why. And the reason they gave was because this room full of second graders couldn't all say the same thing about what she did. Some said she shoved me. Others said she slapped me. Some right. said she hit me. It, it's all the same thing. It's just they used it as an excuse. Anyways, my parents took me out of that school, put me in a private school that was run by Mormons. I, okay. It, it was a whole thing. Um, but it was one of those go-at-your-own-pace things. Okay. Which is great. In theory, the problem being that go at your own pace for a child who may or may not have had some kind of attention deficit, <laughs> that, that became an excuse to just be uh, lazy and not ah. do anything and get distracted. I understand. So for two years I was there. Okay. By the time I roll into grade five, I haven't learned a thing from when I was in grade one. So now I'm on pace with everyone else and... I always really regretted that getting to middle school, okay, now I'm getting bullied by my peers. Mm. By the time high school rolls around in grade nine, I become a jaded asshole. Mm. Um, and I just pushed everyone away, pushed everyone away. Right. It wasn't until goddamn college that I finally broke out of that. So I went to Douglas in like 2016. And it was around that time that I first met friends and started to warm up. But my relationship with schooling at that point had been irreparably damaged. If I had a good teacher, if I had a teacher I liked, instant A in the class. It doesn't matter how hard the class was. Right. It was a free A. If I had a teacher I didn't like, it doesn't matter how easy the class was, C minus. Oh, wow. Consistently. This was like a pattern for me. And I just, I really learned nothing from school. I, I didn't absorb any of it because I, I just wasn't interested. Probably the only thing that I took out of school was Japanese because I studied Japanese in high school. What I studied in English, I remember a bit of the literature, but barely. Right. Right. Math, well, that's hopeless, right? And I love math. I love puzzles. I get really interested in it, but no, I... I don't remember how to do any of it or why it would even be relevant. Mm. History? No. I don't remember a single fact from history. Same. Uh, <laughs> physics, I actually do remember a bit because I was really interested in that. But let's go back through the list. English, I learned so much more from the massive laundry list of books that I read on my own time. Mm. Fiction and, and whatever. I spent a bunch of time studying writing just because I found it interesting. So I would look up lectures from like Brandon Sanderson on YouTube because it's all there available. Mm. Math and puzzles. I have done so much of that, right? Like I went to Japan to play Go and study Go. Like I, I love board games. I love puzzles. I just, I dive right into it. And I've learned that kind of a logical thinking mm. so much more from that than I ever did from a math class which is why they teach you that high-level math by the way it's not to put you into STEM most people aren't going to go into STEM they teach you that to try and expand your brain into thinking in those kind of logical patterns allegedly mm. the efficacy of which is dubious 
but there you go. That's the reasoning for it, for making kids suffer through something that makes no sense and is taught incorrectly and not at all related to what math actually is. Mm. Um, and speaking of Japan, while I was there, I learned more Japanese than I ever did in a classroom. Right. Looking at history, I just listen to like political analysts because I'm curious about the world and current events, yeah. right? Like, while I'm sleeping, I'll put on John Oliver, which, you know, is comedy. But still, he does a lot better job reporting than most reporters do. And I, I listen to all kinds of other independent news sources and study that. So I've learned so much history, particularly about America, actually, because Canada's history, while dark, is... <laughs> it's still very concerning, but a little less of interest than my monkey lizard brain. Physics? Right, physics. I've been to multiple physics conferences while they were in town. Yeah, there was a conference in 2016 called Gravity or something. I went to that. That was fascinating. So much of it went over my head. Recently, there was another, I guess, a scientist. His name is escaping me right now. But he, he mixes kind of theater and science. Hmm. And he did this really, really cool thing where he was explaining the science of black holes and time and all kinds of other things. So I went to that with my mother, actually, and it was just, it was so interesting. And these kinds of things that you see around you, it's so much easier to absorb. It's, it's just so much more personally relevant, mm. right? I feel as though, I mean, I strongly feel as though I have learned more just from my life in general and reaching out, reaching my hand towards what excites me than I ever did from school. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Why do you think your own pursuit of knowledge worked better than the school systems? Because it wasn't arbitrary. Mm. Right. When a school is shoving this knowledge down your throat, you don't really know why. And, and that rot extends all the way from early education into university, where when you go to university, what you're really paying for, what you're getting into tens or hundreds of thousands of student debt for, isn't an education, it's a piece of paper that says you know something. That's all you're actually paying for. Because all the education you could get, you can get for free. Either online, or you can just walk into those classes, talk to the professor, and say, hey, I'm really interested in this course. Do you mind if I sit in? And nine times out of ten, they'll say yes. Wow. If you audit through the university, however, they will charge you for nothing. They, you get no certification whatsoever for taking the class. So there's that. But yeah, like I, I know so many people in various disciplines, like computer science, for example. So many successful computer scientists who never went to school for it. Really? Yeah. Wow. No, they, they just taught themselves. They did their own projects slapped that on a resume, and made a career for themselves like that. There are so many worthless degrees out there. Don't even get me started on the arts, right? <laughs> if you were a musician, if you were an actor, with the exception of some specific acting colleges, there are very prestigious names. Those will, get, those will open doors for you. Musician, not so much. Mm. Uh, there are very prestigious music schools, but you're going to do much better just getting out there, meeting people, and starting to work. Make a name for yourself, make a, make a profile... Yeah. With the exception of things like teachers, doctors, lawyers, you don't need to go to school. Mm. Unless you very specifically need a degree to practice what you want to practice, school is a waste of time and money. You're, you're going to learn so much more just by following your own heart and your own passion. 
if you look at uh, Isaac Newton, for example, mm. Isaac Newton didn't formulate his theory of gravity until he had to leave the college, I think, because of the bubonic plague. Oh. Don't quote me on that. Okay. But yeah, speaking of history, I didn't learn that in school. Um, <laughs> I learned that one from TED Talks, I think. That's cool. Um, but yeah, no, so many um, established great thinkers th throughout our history only managed to reach their potential and their greatness when they got out of that formulaic school mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're not advocating to not go to school, are you? Not necessarily. I'm not <laughs> saying drop out of school. I'm just saying think about what it is you want mm. before you mindlessly follow a pattern and end up in student debt. Mm. Don't do what I did, which is graduate high school at 16, go straight into college, do five years of university back to back with not even an associate's degree to show for it, and not because I failed any of my classes, although I did fail one or two here and there, again, when I didn't like the teacher, but it was purely because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I wasted so much money, so much time, and um, just to loop back to what I was talking about earlier, I didn't even really make connections because I was so closeted and introverted mm. and <laughs> worried about saying or doing the wrong thing. So it really was a complete waste of time, mm. stress, money, and effort for me. So until you know what it is that you want to do and you're certain that schooling is the best way to get it done, yeah, just get into the workforce and get some real life experience. Mm -hmm. Like, figure out who you are and your relationship to the people in the world around you right. first. Sort that out first. Once you have a stronger sense of self, it's a lot easier to strike out and, you know, carve your path. Mm. Carve your path. <laughs> I'm just so sore from carving my own path. Uh, <laughs> um... You know, you're really making me think about that James Clear quote, which is, um, we don't rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our systems. Yes. And... It's one of my favorite quotes. Right? It's yeah. intense. And what it kind of sounds like you're saying is that the school system has actually been failing a lot of people. It's a faulty well, system. It's a faulty system. But it's a system that we societally have feel like we have to follow in order to be considered functional humans. Yes. As I say in air quotes. Yes. What do you think about that? I mean, that is that is kind of the grand lie that has been told to us, mm. right? And you can understand where it comes from, especially nowadays, the current job market, right? Where it seems like everything requires some degree, you know, or level of experience. The thing about jobs is the quote-unquote requirements that they put are more often suggestions mm. than not. It's, it's their ideal candidate. If you have done enough on your own and you can provide evidence of your competence, that is enough to get your foot in the door. And then the merit of your character and your ability can speak for itself. Mm. I mean, it should be the thing that gets you through the door. Damn. <laughs> Is it really worth all that money just to get a piece of paper just so you can actually just be seen yes. as a candidate for a job? <laughs> exactly, right. It just feels betraying, almost. And 
the thing is that those things get waived once somebody already sees you and knows you another way, mm -hmm. right? People find their way into industries through networking, through creating a strong portfolio. And again, it depends on the job you're going into, right? Mm -hmm. There are those jobs where a degree is non-negotiable. And I would agree, right? Like, I don't want, uh, a, <laughs> I, I don't want a teacher uh, in a classroom who hasn't proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have a rigorous education for teaching. But that is so far from perfect still. Right. Right. How many teachers have you, have I, or anybody listening had who seem completely incompetent? You know, those, those teachers where you're wondering how they know less than you do when you're supposed to be the student. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very imperfect system that I'm sure many people have, you know, heard of this was created during the industrial revolution to pump out factory workers. Mm. Right. And mm -hmm. so, so many of these systems within our greater education system are just vestiges of that time, mm. where it wasn't about creating people who could think critically or be mentally stable. It was just about creating people who could complete one task regularly, consistently, and then move the product down the line. So... This is a system built to create factory workers that only recognizes the existence of neurotypical people. Yes. Uh, or only wants to recognize the existence of only having one talent or only being good at one thing. Precisely. And mm. it, it's, it's a factory that is sending you as a product through an assembly line mm. to be shipped off into the workforce. Wow. Uh, that feels weird. <laughs> yeah, and it is. It's gross. It's dehumanizing. No, it's it's terrible. And there are people who care. Don't get me wrong. There are so many teachers. There's so many people in administration who really care, who, who just want kids to be happy and be prepared for the greater world. But they are not given the tools or the communication needed to succeed. Because at the end of the day, the people who call the shots in education are not educators. They're politicians. Oh. <laughs> and I've known many teachers. I've, I've sat down and spoken with them as an adult. And they say, you know, we've, we've tried. We have lobbied so hard for change and to try and get things fixed. And they just don't listen. They do not listen to us. I wonder why they don't listen. It's not profitable. Like everything else in our society, it's, um, it's a matter of cost-benefit analysis. So it sounds like deep within the story, there is some sort of purpose that's shining a light in you. Correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, it, do you think that is something you want to do when you step forward more into the world? Is to maybe help forge a path of different type of education? I've always been fascinated by education. There's so many things that I see the system doing wrong, right? Even without touching the way the subjects are taught, which is a hot mess, just looking at kids, their mental health, looking at their physical health, because PE is a travesty, trust me, um, nutritional health, all three of these things are so important to just being functional. Yeah. And there is so very little support 
or sometimes the very opposite where the things the school is doing are actually detrimental to these fundamentals. And then on top of that, I think the most important skill that I learned outside of the school, and ironically, I learned from playing video games, was learning how I learn. Learning what works for me, how I absorb knowledge, how I interact with that knowledge, and, and you know, what that means about me as a person. I, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to me. And I didn't learn that until I played uh, League of Legends of all things. Now, I'm not advocating anybody to do that. <laughs> that would be horrible. But that just happens to be where I found this revelation as I was trying to teach myself. For, I mean, for me, it's how intuitive um, I have to learn. Mm. I, I cannot learn things analytically. It doesn't work. It won't stick. There's always going to be some balance of the two. It's a spectrum. For me, I have to just keep being hands-on and working with something until it just feels right and it just clicks. At Starbucks, they teach me, uh, when I learned how to become a barista trainer, is the four different types of learning. Yeah, so there's visual, auditory, read and write, and kinesthetic. Right. So it sounded like you've got like a good handle or a good grip of like how you learn. You're, you're discovering that a lot more yeah right how would you describe how you learn using those four different umbrellas i guess you could call them those four different types of learning i mean for me read and write is just useless reading and writing yeah yeah it just it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. it, it doesn't stay in my brain it goes in one eye comes out the other yeah um it really is a combination of the other three Visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. No, kinesthetic just meaning like hands-on, tactile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah just, just working with it and feeling it. Seeing a stimulus, hearing a stimulus, and then reacting physically. Mm -hmm. And the, the balance and feedback between those two. <clears throat> now, what I found definitely really helps me when I teach people how to be a new barista is if I have a combination of all four. I know personally for me, I'm a lot more of an auditory to kinesthetic. Auditory, no, uh, no I, I'm also a visual learner, you know, with my background with dance as well. Mm -hmm. Reading and writing recently has become a way of learning. However, I do not have the best grip, if that makes any sense. Like, if you were to describe it with, like, say, Velcro. If you were to give me, like, uh, visuals and something to listen to and then something to do, it's like you're throwing, like, I'm the hook part going to the soft part. I will yeah. stick, yeah. right? But with um, reading and writing, it's kind of like the two hooks. Sometimes they hook onto each other, but most of the time they just fall off. Yeah. I can tell you when you were teaching me at Starbucks, every time we sat down with the book and we, we were reading through it, it did nothing for me. <laughs> absolutely yeah. a waste of time i understand you had to do it as a it's part of the process mm -hmm. but um genuinely i just i would zone out yeah i'd be looking at something on the wall and then we'd go out and do it and i'd see it once and i'd have so then i guess going back to that first question that i was asking is like is there like a, a purpose in you um <laughs> a while back that you were maybe thinking about going back into education but trying to forge this path of yeah different types of learning yeah yeah i mean i've always been i definitely had a dream especially when i was younger of 
making a school of my own, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it would have to be a private school that would have to be able to meet certifications to be able to send people to college. But yeah, I wanted to start my own school and with a more researched and holistic um, education for students. But I think as I've gotten a bit older, that's that's been uh, changed slightly. One of the problems with creating a truly um, proper kind of catered learning experience is in that word catered. It's hard. I, I would say impossible for one teacher to properly manage a class of 20 or more students. I'd say that number would have to be less than 10 for it to be possible and it would still be hard damn work. Mm-hmm. Everybody has unique needs and everybody needs some amount of one-on-one uh, instruction that is tailored to their own, uh, to the way they learn, to the way they think, the emotional support that they need, right? So, yeah, I, I think it's it's very hard to make a sustainable school within our current, you know, economic climate. I've, I've seen... Uh, a few schools actually I've, I've toured I've had the the great uh, privilege and fortune to tour a few schools here in Vancouver that are really branching out and trying to make a better experience for our kids but I would probably be more interested in working with something established like that than in creating my own thing from the ground up at this time hmm. I mean I generally I want to be able to carve a kind of niche for myself where I can make really supportive, caring community just, you know, for all ages and just really be there for people and help people through life. I kind of envision that for myself, but, you know, maybe when I can sort out my own shit a bit more. (laughs) Wow, that's so inspiring. And there's a lot of points that you say that, like, really just make a lot of sense. to decipher how you learn best through League of Legends. (laughs) Tell me more about that process and tell me more about just maybe like your relationship with games. Yeah, because it's a very complicated relationship. When I was, you know, when I was in high school, I I, I gotta start this one a bit before I actually get into games themselves. I'm just briefly talking about Go, the board game. It's a it's a board game out of China. Japanese brought it here. That's why we call it Go. Very unfortunate name to Google. But oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it's this board game. You can kind of think of it like chess. But I got super into this board game in high school. Mm. And quickly I realized, okay, I need a place where I can play people in person. I looked and the only place I could find was there was a club for it at Simon Fraser University. Mm. So I went there and I played there and I started learning from the guy who ran the club who was, he would have been 22 at the time. And he he started teaching me and I kind of got in with his friend group. After a while, when I burned out of Go a bit, because I was was ravenous learning, right? I was playing Go over 50 hours a week. 
Holy moly. When I latch on to something to learn, I am obsessive. Um, and I got very good very fast. And I have since played on and off throughout the years, but never with that kind of uh, fervor. When I burned out of Go, they introduced me to like competitive video games. Mm. And I had always liked video games since I was a young child. But, you know, it was always single-player stuff, and they they really got me into this, and I kind of found my niche right there, and dove into that headfirst. Mm. I've, I've always been a competitive person. I'm a bit of a sore loser, I can't lie. And when I just, I found a chance to have skill expression. You might refer to it as mastery. I've heard you use that term a lot. Yeah. We are all looking for ways to express ourselves in the world, right? Yeah. And it just became another outlet for that where I could really, you know, express my ability and something that I enjoyed doing. The problem was I sucked. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was very bad. I was 14, 15 years old and, um, oh man, I... <laughs> I was I was really bad and they these guys right they were they were way older than me they're in their 20s mm. and they teased me relentlessly mm. I was the runt of the group right so you know I, I I took it 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 left me with nothing but like this desire to get better mm. right I, I had to get better and so for the first time I had encountered something in my life that I sucked at but I wasn't gonna give up Ooh, that's awesome. Everything else in the past, when it, when the going got tough, I just, I, I threw in the towel, mm -hmm. right? But this time, for whatever reason, I really stuck with it, and I did get better. And it was slow, and it was painful, and it was frustrating, and I threw my mouse at the wall, I cried, I screamed, but eventually I got good, to the point where I was in, like, the top 5,000-ish players in like on the continent in what game uh, this is in dota 2 dota okay yeah wow that's impressive and i didn't really know how i got there i kind of got there like clawing and screaming my way through right i it, it was not it was not very well thought out at all it was pretty much pure anime protagonist motivation and effort but then when my friends got me into League of Legends, I was starting over in a format I was familiar with mm. from square one, mm -hmm. surrounded by supportive friends, mm -hmm. and with the previous experience of what I'd done in Dota. But once again, I sucked, because mm. it's still a new game, and it's, it's very different, even though the face of it all looks the same. So this time around, I was older, and I had the right circumstances, and it was way more formalized the way I started to learn, mm. right? I didn't fall into a lot of the pitfalls that I fell into before. I knew, like, where to get started, and quickly I started to recognize what was showing me dividends and what wasn't. I was like, okay, well, when I think about it this way, this actually helps, mm. right? And I can draw back to my experience from Dota and see that this helps, and... I was, I was looking into it, and I was studying things on YouTube about the game. Uh, I came across this guy, Coach Curtis, who described learning League as this balance between 
being intuitive and being analytical. So he uh, he said that for a game like League, there's it's very fast paced. There's not a lot of time to just sit and think. Being intuitive, more intuitive, is going to help you. But you also need to be analytical. You can't just be mindless about it. You have to be thinking. You have to be utilizing what downtime you do have to think about the state of the game and analyze what's going on and that will influence your actions and i thought holy shit this is an incredible analogy for life yeah um say more so often we go through life on autopilot yeah our subconscious is calling the shots yeah right we don't think we act and that can be a good thing. You want to hone that intuition. When you're having a conversation with somebody, as I'm talking now, I'm not thinking about the next word, word by word, that's going to come out of my mouth. That would be crippling. You have to be able to keep going, keep rolling, keep rolling. And then when you have those pauses, uh, when somebody else is talking or, you know, when somebody else is acting, it gives you a chance to to relax for a second but you have to use that time smartly mm. right you have to use that time to be thinking and to regulate yourself and that's how you keep yourself out of trouble right because um i'm a spontaneous person right if my friends invite me out partying hell yeah i'm gonna go with them when i'm not doing something and the party starts getting a little weird that's when those warning bells in my brain have to go off and I have to think, okay, is this really a bad idea? Sure, I want to stay, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm having a good time, but this isn't seeming like it's going anywhere good. Maybe I should make, like, a banana and split. And, um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's a bit of a reductive example. But through any interaction in life, I think you have to be able to moderate yourself. How many times have you gotten in an argument with somebody and you're just shooting back and forth and it's escalating and it's escalating. And if you let that sweep you away, if you don't take those moments to think like, I need to stop and separate myself before I say something that I can't take back. Mm -hmm. Right? I've hurt the people I love so many times because I wasn't able to do that. Yeah. And it's a capacity that I've since built up. Mm -hmm. But that is an example of that intuitive versus analytical thinking. We can't only be dominated by one. Wow. Right? The the counterexample, while not a real person, uh, but if you've seen The Good Place, uh, you yes. know, Chidi Angonye, he's so analytical that he's paralyzed. Yes. Right, so you can't let that happen either. You have to find the right balance for you. But to, to think about that and to learn that, from League of Legends, the most despotic, unholy pile of scum on earth. Um, well, is it? <laughs> on your experience. Yes, yes, in my experience. Let's just say I'd find less racists in a neo-Nazi bar. Um, Whoa, <laughs> okay. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> you know, you're really linking me to a whole bunch of philosophies about life right now as well that I've picked up on. Most prominently that pops up right now is I'm linking back to my conversation with my sister-in-law Amber when we were talking about faith and religious diversity and it actually comes from the Gottman so we're doing full circle again well what is wrong with telling someone when you're in the middle of an argument and it's getting heated like you said what is wrong with telling them I need half an hour 
There's nothing wrong with that at all. Right? But then it also really links me back to the, the composer Debussy, who once said that music is in the space between the notes. Yeah, fantastic quote. And it's so, so true, just musically. Right. I'm sorry, my, my brain could rip off that for another hour. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much value in taking a pause, an intentional pause, where you're giving yourself that chance to rejuvenate and, you know, rethink, reassess. No, for sure. You, you, need, you need space like music where it's it's a push and pull do you think games and amusement are linked do you ever experience amusement i'm gonna be honest for me i don't often find games fun say more i know that sounds absolutely bizarre but to me video games are not generally about having fun i get enjoyment out of it okay but it's not fun the way that going to the park with your friends is fun. Mm. For me, the enjoyment I get out of it is in the suffering and overcoming. Okay. It's throwing myself at something really challenging and pushing my ability and my limits. And it's not just competitive, too, right? As much as I do love competition, I've actually stepped away from that recently because it can be very unhealthy. Yeah. And there's probably some things in myself that I need to examine and work on for me to be able to go back to that in a healthy way. Yeah. Even cooperative games. Mm. What I spend my time doing is challenging the hardest damn things that the game has to offer and overcoming it with the people around me. And the absolute joy and exuberance that we get from that is so worth it. Mm. And to be able to look back on those memories makes me smile without, it, without fail every time. It is linked. Right. Because what what I'm doing through this process of challenging and overcoming... Um, <laughs> I actually said this to a teacher before, a professor, um, who, who disagreed with me. But I said, education is suffering. I mean, it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> and for a lot of people. But even when it's done correctly, you should suffer the the trials and tribulations of the material you're trying to work with it's like a battle mm. you are you are battling against yourself and trying to better yourself like a blacksmith tempers a sword on an anvil like a root growing from a seed exactly <laughs> pushing against the boundaries of that seed yeah you're just trying to expand yourself and forge yourself into something better or grow yourself past your boundaries into something better. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, that common thread for me between what makes learning and education so fun when it is correct, when it is more than just rote memorization and being pumped out like a factory baby. Um, the link between, you know, that good education and what I enjoy in video games. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it, it doesn't matter what video game it was even even minecraft minecraft by all means just a fun casual game about creating things i wasn't going to be satisfied with just creating a dirt hut i had to go and create the biggest meanest things i could mm -hmm. um just to see what i could do right and i i loved it i loved every second of it so 
I think we're talking about that, the space between the notes, the space between the League of Legend plays, <laughs> the time where we can rest, essentially. So I'm just curious, do you have moments of playfulness during those rests, during that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I spend most of my days, you know, talking to my friends, and it'll be, you know, whatever we're doing might be high octane, might be stressful. And then we'll just have a moment where we randomly decide to play chess yeah. against each other when they have no idea how to play chess. Yeah. And we all just get to sit around and laugh. Yeah. You know, you need those releases of tension. It's it's the same in music, right? Mm -hmm. If you listen to, and I mean, Jacob Collier recently does this brilliantly, but if you, you listen to his music, there's so much tension, so much conflict in the chords he chooses, and then it always resolves to something that's like, letting out a breath right right mm. and it just it it takes you on this emo uh, emotional journey partly because we connect the notes to those emotions but also partly because it's actually physically influencing you yes right and that just that act of taking a breath it 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 settles your nerves it mm -hmm. really does and that's one of my main strategies for dealing with my often crippling, overwhelming anxiety, mm. is just to stop and breathe, mm. right? Sometimes that's all you can do. Yeah. And it sounds so simple, right? But think about how many times you've forgotten to do it, so. Yeah. No, legit. And it kind of just reminds me a little bit about the, the connection between, like, amusement and play. Video games or other games are seen as a form of play. Using video games for play is something I'm capable of doing, but I don't and can't do it as obsessively as I do normally. Interesting. If that makes sense. Like, it's a, it's a lovely diversion and I enjoy it, but it's just that. Right. Right. It's, it's relaxing. Whereas most of the time I'm just challenging myself. I would rather do other things, right? It's not, it's, I'm not saying to, to play video games for hours and hours every day. It just happens to have scratched an itch for me and I've fallen into a habit of doing it. Right. So it would be nice actually to replace it with something a little more productive and mm. perhaps a little more outside of my room. Yeah, that's where I am right now and you know, we're working on it. I don't know, there's just a part of me that almost feels as though the way you described your relationship with video games and other games could be actually defined as play. I think it was Dr. Um, Stuart Brown that says, um, play helps us deal with difficulties, provides a sense of expansiveness, promotes mastery in our craft, and is an essential part of the creative process. Most importantly, true play that comes from our own inner needs and desires is the only path to finding lasting joy and satisfaction in our work. You know, that's actually fascinating because, and this is a, this is a study that I love to bring up. You've probably heard me say it to you at least three times, but there were some ethnographers that were studying, you know, as ethnographers do, they study cultures worldwide and they were studying the way that children play. Mm -hmm. And they found that the games that children across all cultures play are not the same as any other culture but all of them specifically target the skills and the know-how that one would need 
to thrive within that culture. Mm, interesting. And totally naturally, kids just happen to create games like that. Mm-hmm. That I learned while researching education, and I just thought that was so interesting because in regards to education, that means that everybody loves learning. Yeah. Everybody has an instinctual biological desire to learn mm-hmm. because it is tied into our survival instinct. Yeah. And somehow our school system is so bad that it beats down our goddamn survival instinct yeah. and makes kids hate learning. Yeah. Either that or it's not accurately targeting the things that you need to survive in our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll leave that there regarding education. But yeah, with, with gaming, it's it's very possible that for me it has helped to teach the social skills, the problem-solving skills that I need to uh, to function. Minecraft, creative process. Yeah, that you know, targeted creativity a lot. Um, I, you know, I made money for a time off of building in Minecraft because I dived so far into it. Wow. It almost seems like you're someone who takes play very seriously. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I, I think, honestly, that's almost the solution to this education crisis that we're dealing with. And that's, I like, speaking on my own behalf... I loved school from preschool to grade three. Yeah. It was the most enjoyable time. I would cry on Saturdays and be excited for Sundays because school was the next day. <laughs> the reason being is because play was more prioritized in those early parts of the education system. Yeah. And then grade four hit and it was like bunker down. Now you get letter grades, study for tests, you yeah. know, and now your self-worth is tied to your productivity in these classes, whereas... Just as your economic worth would be tied to your productivity in a factory, right? Right, right. And for me, prioritizing play and prioritizing amusement as a function of play and a function of education was what helped teach me so much in my foundational years. Yeah. Nowadays, I'm kind of finicky on the parts of the brain, but in grade three, we had, like... We got to learn all these different parts of the brain, like the cerebellum, the cerebrum, the brainstem. We got to learn about... Studying psych in grade three. (laughs) uh, Neurons, uh, connectivity, um, what makes connections. And this is all because we did it in arts and crafts. We did it in games. We did it in songs. Yeah. And... So it was was connected. I mean, (laughs) to make a Marxist reference, you know, you separate the worker from the means of production... Well, we're separating children from the means of learning. Yes. Absolutely. Right? Which is, it's absolutely criminal when you think about it. But yeah, you you take them out of a situation where they can, you know, learn and thrive and become, you know, truly kind of self-actualized individuals. You just replace it with this rote bullshit. Yeah. That's just going to create more mindless nine-to-five put your head down enjoy your weekends mm-hmm. and suffer every day yeah right is that really what any of us want no, no. but i feel like grade four and then on that's just, what it became it just life told me that that's what it's supposed to be yeah right which isn't true that's just what our society is right now you can absolutely break out of that mold mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to be born to two musician parents. I ended up in music early, and I don't know how I would have survived without that in my life. Yeah. Without that outlet for all my frustration and all my creativity... Yeah, it, it, it really did save my life. And it was also this moneymaker that I was able to fall back on yeah. and that I ended up having to fall back on after COVID, right? I didn't initially want to be a full-time musician, right? I, I've always enjoyed music and I, it was always something I did part-time, but it wasn't necessarily what I, what I wanted for myself. But thank God I had it. Yeah, I think thank God that it didn't get overly tied to self-worth in your life, if yeah. that makes any it's, sense. It's one of the few things that's escaped that, actually. Drawing parallels to, like, my experience with education, like, preschool to grade three, there's not a lot of, like, self-worth measures and uh, quantifiable metrics to measure your self-worth, quote-unquote. Yeah. And I got to just exist and play and learn in this very organic, fluid kind of way. Yeah. And parallel to that is my experience in Irish dance, where up until I finally got, until I finally placed at the World Championships, painting it with a broad brushstroke, it was very similar to that. Then the moment I hit 12th in the world, suddenly now it's like, oh, pressure. pressure. Yeah, and right. the, the second that your self-worth becomes tied to something you are doing, mm -hmm. the moment you fail in any way, mm -hmm. or the moment you underperform, suddenly that is a personal attack on yourself, and it will immediately destroy any positive relationship you had with what you were doing. And that's why competition has been so ruined for me now. Mm. It's because if I, if I have a bad day, if I lose, it is so frustrating and you know that leads into a whole host of issues yeah i just bless my stars that for whatever reason with music i escaped that fate and even if i have a bad day if i if i sing a bunk note i mean it sure it bothers me i don't immediately default to oh i'm shit at singing yeah there's enough self-compassion generated and practiced in your psyche towards this topic yeah that you can forgive yourself easier. But I feel like what we were talking about was essentially the, the wounding of the sovereign, right? And I like to say sovereign because it's very gender neutral. Yep. Um, in my book here, it's going to talk about masculine archetypes. So we're going to talk about the king, but I'm just going to quote this. It's, um, uh, the emotional wound in the king archetype is a belief or fear that you are not good enough. This wound means always having a sense you need to do better, perform better, behave better, or achieve more. A belief or felt sense that without these external successes, you have little or no intrinsic value. Many children in our society are taught, to a greater or lesser extent, that they are not good enough in some way. Children are not taught or encouraged to love themselves exactly as they are. They are encouraged to perform for approval and attention to be a good boy for mommy, or work harder at school, it will make your dad happy. This kind of conditional love does not build a true sovereign. Yeah, true. Ooh. The sovereign is sovereign because it's their right by birth, just as we all have a right by birth to be good enough. Mm, damn. <laughs> right. For me, I had a big fond response 
Um, and that has developed into letting people walk all over me and enduring pain so that I could be better accepted by the group. It was, right. it was very similar for me, although the origins differ. Mm. Uh, I was an only child, but being as prodigious as I was at that young age, right, being so advanced in school, all of the adults around me kept telling me how great I was. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew really attached to that identity because mm. it made everyone around me happy. Right, it made me it made me safe. As long as I was Performing displaying all. greatness, mm. the the people around me would love me. Mm. And so yeah, I, I definitely fell into that. And then when I started getting bullied for being weird and different, <laughs> as seems to happen to all of us, mm. I dug into that more, into that being nice, right? Like if I was really nice to people, then they wouldn't turn on me. Yes. And that's when my anxiety started to build. So whenever I met new people, I would always be very nice. I was everybody's therapist. I developed the identity as the kind, caring person who was, who was there for my friends. The bullying just got so bad that it broke me. I flipped 100%. And that's when I became a bully myself. Mm. Took, a, took a long time and a few punched faces to realize that. Now, it's interesting. The... Uh... The Warrior, Magician, King, Lover book really describes the there's the passive shadow and the active shadow. And they kind of work in this bipolar kind of way, where if one breaches the levy, the other one will take over. So the opposite of the masochist is the sadist, right? right. The one who wants to inflict pain, yeah. right? Because things have gotten too much. I've endured too much pain that you lash out. Yeah. Right? So that Trust just me, like, I'm familiar with sadomasochism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes, okay. It just makes sense. For I'm legal just... reasons, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> I didn't say it any other way. For me, my masochist, I think, really sprouted and grew and became amorphous when I had a dance teacher of mine gang up on me and it's interesting that you brought up that story of your friend who the teacher was like i want you to tell him all the things you hate about him i had something similar happen to me where i was the subject of that it wasn't necessarily like all the things that we hate about you the teacher was like going around the circle being like i want you to tell luke all the things he needs to work on i gotta say that is one one one-way plane ticket to self-hatred right is definitely no, that's, a, it's, it's flat out abusive there's not two ways about that it's one way of definitely damaging the sovereign of a child yeah. and the weakling king is just like i'm not good enough oh no i don't know what to do so you know it's took over that was like oh, i'm strong enough the masochist and the masochist then used the weakling king and that's one thing that they've been talking about in this book is that the king has a power of controlling all the other shadows so the masochist has then been like, well, you know what? Let's also control the lover shadows. Let's control some of the magician shadows. And um, yeah, let's really make this boy feel like he's unlovable, unattractive, unworthy. And uh, let's keep going. Ha 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 ha. I'm really sorry that happened to you. You've, mm-hmm. you've told me about it before, but mm-hmm. it still is just so messed up. It's a little messed up, right? And this is all because I 
found so much amusement in Irish dance that, you know, I think I had a similar thing where, like, I got good pretty fast as well. And I had a lot of people telling me that I was great at it. And I think this was just one lady who felt threatened by it, felt threatened by my individuality a bit. And my... Thought to take it upon herself to try and take you down a peg. Some people see success and whatever they have going on in their own life, it makes them angry or it frustrates them that somebody else can be happy and content uh, in their own success when they can't. So they feel the need to tear them down. Yeah. And I understand that because I've been there. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, like like I mentioned when I was getting bullied in high school, this is the same time that I was spending all of my weekends hanging out, playing games with, and going out to dinner with a bunch of twenty-two to twenty-four-year-old students who had quite vicious tongues. Yeah, you know, they they definitely knew how to how to make a biting comment. And oh my god, I became the most obnoxious little shit because of it to my mm-hmm. to my peers in school. Mm-hmm. If somebody pissed me off the wrong way, I would just be really vicious. I, I didn't hold back. Yeah. So yeah, which then spiraled into physical fights. And I, yeah, I had the, the highest absence rate in the history of my high school. Yeah, I became this weird, scrawny, insecure, nerdy delinquent. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a weird image, but yeah. That's fine. I just, I guess maybe that's a good place to maybe pause. Just to end it, would you be okay with a little, uh, rapid fire? Rapid fire, okay, fire away. Okay. What does, uh, vulnerability mean to you? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet Jesus. Vulnerability is... The act of opening up your gates, knowing that it is the right thing to do, but being terrified to death of it all the same. It is opening your heart and who you truly are inside Mm -hmm. out to the world or to others and allowing them to actually see that and pass their own judgment on it. And sometimes when that judgment is positive and they see you and they accept you, there's no better feeling. Right. And other times they may attack you and there's no worse feeling, but you're not going to find true happiness or peace within yourself unless you're capable of doing that. Yeah. Wow. I feel like we've been talking about it a lot with our seed analogies with the, what was the analogy you had? Uh, the blacksmith. Blacksmith, right? Right? It's been coming up a lot. And it's so funny that your initial reaction was like, oh god. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite television show? Um... Maybe let me add, what is your your favorite television show that you've binged in recently? Binged recently? Yeah. I've been watching The Blacklist. Not because it's good. It's hot dog-ass water. But uh, James Spader is carrying that show on his shoulders. Incredible actor. I recommend watching all like eight or nine seasons just for him. <laughs> it started off strong at least, but okay. like most series, once you're getting up into the six plus seasons, it starts to lose track of itself. Yes. Um, what is your favorite meal? That's a good question. Um, probably this fusion sushi place near my family's home. Uh, they make this like volcano roll. That's this deep fried roll mm. with with like a bun 
bunch of stuff and like this spicy sauce but the entire thing is like this roll around a center of tuna and salmon sashimi wow all like so with so much sauce and it looks like a volcano definitely one of my favorites since childhood okay. makes my stomach hurt but it's so worth it oh no uh i'm so hungry now uh because i have to ask and it's because it's me what's your favorite pokemon <sighs> looper it's always looper. looper have you seen the new looper no you haven't seen the new Wooper? No, you'll have to show there, me. There's an official new Wooper that got released. Oh my god. What? Look at it. <laughs> Look at it. It's so happy. They're just, Woopers are just so happy. Right? And it's perfect. People are calling it Pooper. Because <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Aw. Right? Pooper. They're, they're just, they, like, they speak to the child in me. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. They do. Because they're just so, like, bright-eyed and innocent and happy. And Aww. just, you can see them loving the world that they're in. Aww. They always look so curious. Aww. So, yeah. Wow. That held my heart. <laughs> that was very nice. Very well said. Aww. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite song or musician or band? And, like, I, I ask all three of them because some people just can't decide. Yeah, no, there's there are so many um, brilliant artists and songs out there. I, like, I, I have certain songs that I fall back on. You did mention um, WC earlier, Claire de Lune, Call Me Basic, but that's probably one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm. Um, for artists, you know, it's a toss-up between, like, Sammy Davis Jr., um, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, Stevie Wonder. Like, there's there's just, there's too many. There's too many, but probably the one that I connect to the most is Sammy Davis Jr., mm. who happens to also be my namesake. Oh, really? Yes. Um, and his his music, he's also a tap dancer, and his music just feels so right so emotional it's the way he communicates through song is absolutely what i aspire to wow. and if i could ever in my life do it half as well as he did then i would die with no regrets Aww. yeah it's wholesome <laughs> i love it okay interesting question and then uh one more after it and then we'll wrap it up but um if you could have a dinner with three other people, they could be living, dead, or fictional. Who would they be, and why? <laughs> Dinner with any three people. Yeah. Are we talking, like, translation services provided? What do you mean by that? Like, if I chose somebody from, like, Indonesia. Sure. There would be a translator available? Okay. Sure. Consider it like the good place, where all the languages are just, just understood. They're just understood. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, this one might take me a second to think of. Okay. Although it does remind me of a great skit with Brennan Lee Mulligan, where he's like, am I winning? Did I win the question? <laughs> when asked open-ended questions like these. Am I winning the question? <laughs> I'll show it to you after. Okay. Um... Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay. 
would be one. David Hume, another philosopher, very interested in education. Okay. Also nearly executed for atheism. Uh, oh. <laughs> and, yeah, probably Sammy Davis Jr., actually. Awesome. Worst dinner party ever, by the way, with those three guests. How come? Like, it, it just... It, I mean, Nietzsche and Hume would have so much to talk about, but, um... Like, Sammy Davis Jr. would just be like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> but just personally, I would love to have a conversation with him. I really am sad that he died before I ever had a chance to see him in concert. Wow, yeah. Do you have any advice for the next generation growing up? My, my biggest advice for the next generation would be, man, get off social media. Mm. Just don't do it. It is not worth it. Whatever connection it may provide pales in comparison to what you would get from just talking to people in person and asking if they want to go grab lunch. Mm. All it's going to do is, is fuck up your brain. Those, make no mistake, every social media is just uh, corporations trying to abuse your brain chemistry. Yeah for their own uh, financial benefit, and yes, they're selling your information to advertisement agencies who are just trying to get you to buy more shit. So, yeah, no, seriously, if you can go without a phone, I know this is, like, hugely difficult, but if you can go without a phone, absolutely do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I managed for, like, eight months before I got dragged back into the muck and bullshit, and it was some of the best time of my life. Mm -hmm. I felt so much more connected to people and the world around me. I know it sounds kind of airy-fairy, hippy-dippy, whatever. I'm serious. You will like yourself so much more. I feel like there's also like a lot of traps to compare yourself to other people. Oh, yeah. In social media. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, they... And the it scares me how many young people I see falling into this trap of, like, vapid vanity, yeah. um, looking at what's popular on social media and how those people present themselves. That's not what those people's lives are like, even remotely, but uh, young people are fashioning their lives around that and prioritizing things that aren't going to make them happy and also just make them uninteresting. Mm. Why would you degrade yourself into some base, boring mirror of pop culture. Right. Wow. I just, I, I, I don't get why, well, I do get why people would want that, right? You think it'll make you popular or liked. All we ever want is to be accepted. It won't. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. How was that? Good. Yeah? Not so bad? No, it was pretty fun. Good. Yay. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, it's been a pleasure. And, uh... Maybe we'll have you on another time if you yeah, want. Yeah, that would be lovely. Yay! That's awesome. Well, there we go. There was my conversation with uh, Sam Ellington. I had so much fun having this conversation with him, and I do hope that uh, maybe one day in the future we can have another chat. Um, but yeah, I definitely found that this conversation was very fascinating, and uh, I hope you found that too. I hope that maybe it uh, challenged some of your perspective on how people learn, and maybe uh, start questioning 
you know, why are things the way they are sometimes when it comes to education? And, uh, you know, if we really truly want to be a more inclusive society, we need to be able to account for all different types of learning, even those who might be smarter than the typical curriculum or those who might fall short. Are we assuming too much about them, about their differences, or are we the ones that are being too assuming and ignorant and unmindful? What can we do to meet them where they're at and forge a proper, profound connection with people that are different than us? They just might surprise you, really truly. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Lucatronosaurus Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you. 